Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Espresso Crime. It's been a minute since we've done a background and timeline episode, but this one has it all. Murder, escaping jail, and even doubt on his confession. Let's get into it. Albert DeSalvo was born on September 3rd, 1931 in Chelsea, Massachusetts. His father was a violent alcoholic who at one point knocked out all of his wife's teeth and bent her fingers back until they broke in front of their children. He also would bring home sex workers and engage in sexual acts with them in front of his wife and young children. As a kid, Albert began torturing animals and started stealing as well. As a 12-year-old in 1943, Albert was arrested for battery and robbery. A month later, he was sent to a boys' school. It was the first reform school or training school in the U.S. In October 1944, he was paroled and started working as a delivery boy. Two years later, in August, he returned to the school again, this time for stealing a car. After completing his second sentence, he joined the army. He was honorably discharged after his first tour of duty. He relisted and was again honorably discharged. Between June 14, 1962 and January 4, 1964, 13 single women between the ages of 19 and 85 were murdered in the Boston area. They were eventually tied to the Boston Strangler. Most of the women were sexually assaulted in their apartments and then strangled with articles of clothing. The oldest victim died of a heart attack. Two others were stabbed to death, one which was also really badly beaten. Without any sign of forced entry into their homes, the women were assumed to have known their killer or voluntarily allowed him into their home. All of 1964, in addition to the Strangler murders, the police were also trying to solve a series of rape committed by a man who was referred to as the Measuring Man or the Green Man. Earlier on, on October 27th, DeSalvo, Albert, had posed as a motorist with car trouble and attempted to enter a home in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. The owner of the home, future Brockton Police Chief Richard Sprouse, became suspicious and ultimately fired a shotgun at him. Later that day, a stranger entered a young woman's home in East Cambridge, posing as a detective. He tied his victim to her bed, proceeded to sexually assault her, and suddenly left saying, I'm sorry. The women's description led police to identify him as Albert DeSalvo. When his photo was published, many women identified him as the man who had assaulted them. Under arrest for his role in the Green Man rapes, he was not suspected of being involved with the Strangler murders. Only after he was charged with rape did he give a detailed confession of his activities as the Boston Strangler, both under um, hypnosis. And also without hypnosis during interviews with the assistant attorney general. So both times he confessed. He initially confessed to fellow inmate uh, George Nassar, who then notified his attorney. The attorney took on Albert's case. Though there were some inconsistencies, Albert was able to cite details that had not yet been made public. However, there was no physical evidence to his confession. As such, he stood trial for earlier unrelated crimes of robbery and sexual offenses. Uh, The attorney brought up the confession to the murders as part of his client's history at the trial as part of uh, insanity defense, but it was ruled inadmissible by the judge. 
For his 1967 trial, Albert's mental state was evaluated by a neurologist who had established the first sex offender treatment center in Massachusetts. The attorney engaged a plea bargain to lock in his client's guilt in exchange for taking the death penalty off the table and also to preserve the possibility of an eventual insanity verdict. The attorney was angered by the jury's decision to put Albert in prison for life. He says, my goal was to see the strangler wind up in a hospital where the doctors could try to find out what made him kill. Society is deprived of a study that might help deter other mass killers who live among us waiting for the trigger to go off inside them. Albert was sentenced to life in prison in 1967. In February of that year, he escaped with two fellow inmates, uh, and this triggered, obviously, a full manhunt. I mean, he's escaped. So a note was found on his bunk addressed to the superintendent in it. Albert stated he had escaped to focus attention on the conditions in the hospital and his own situation. Three days after the escape, he called his lawyer to turn himself in. His lawyer then sent the police to rearrest him. Following the escape, he was transferred to the maximum security prison where he later recounted his strangler confessions. On November 25, 1973, he was found stabbed to death in the prison. In July 2013, DNA was matched between semen fluid found at the rape and murder of Mary Sullivan and DNA obtained from Albert's nephew, linking Albert to the murder of Sullivan and excluding 99.9% of the remaining population. Authorities exhumed Albert's remains later that month and confirmed the DNA match. Okay, and now for crime trivia. Are you ready? I was born ready. Okay, number one. What is the name of the serial killer, also known as the Grim Sleeper, who killed 10 people and died in prison in March 2020? Samuel Little or Lonnie Franklin Jr.? Samuel Little. Uh, Lonnie Franklin Jr. Who's still called Lonnie in this day and age? I think he was quite old. I think, do I know a Lonnie? I don't know. Number two. I knew a Lonnie. Which serial killer letters, sorry, words, they mean things. Number two. Which serial killer wrote letters to newspapers but suddenly stopped in 1974? Zodiac killer. Woohoo, you got it right. Number three. What is the main difference between a serial killer and a mass murderer? Um, mass murderers all in one go. That's right. Number four. The book Devil in the White City is about which serial killer? Dr. H.H. H. Holmes or Albert Fish? Fish. Wrong. I was going to say that one. It's not fair. Number five. At the time of death, what was Pablo Escobar's estimated net worth? Oh, God. I like 15 billion. Close. 30 billion. Jeez, That's a lot of money. Ridiculous. Number six. Which woman stabbed and mutilated her partner and then cooked his head in stew? Oh, Catherine God. Knight or Tracy Wingington? Tracy. Wrong, Catherine. Oh. Isn't that insane, though? Ugh. So gross. So gross. Number seven. On the night he shot John Lennon, which book was the killer carrying? The Catcher in the Rye or How to Kill a Mockingbird? I think it was Catching the Rye, wasn't it? That's right. Number eight. What are the names of the Menendez brothers? 
Kyle and Larry or Lyle and Eric? I'll say Lyle and Eric. That's right. Number nine. How did one murderer get away with selling victim skeletons to medical students? How did he get away with it? Yeah. I don't get what you mean. Like he was just giving or giving and selling medical students all of these dead bodies. Right. And he said he worked at a morgue. Close, I guess ish, not really close. They just never asked. Oh. They just never were like, hey, how are you coming? How is this stock so good? That's crazy. Number 10. Oh, and that would be the Dr. H.H. Holmes. Hmm. Number 10. Which serial killer shares the name of one of Elaine's boyfriends on the TV show Seifeld? Say John Wayne Gacy. No. Joel Rifkin. I don't that watch this right. show, but I guess they had this guy's name only like six months after the serial killer went to trial. All right. And the serial killer's mom was not happy. And it did not go over well with the audience either. It's like hmm. because it was so close that. It was too recent. Too recent. That's, That's all for crime trivia. You did well there. I'm okay. That was a good one. We've not done it for a while. Yeah. Okay. I got my, I still got most of 50-50s wrong. That's okay. Boo, 50-50s. Okay, that wraps up today's episode with Crime Trivia as well. Thanks for listening and see you Sunday.